Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBurge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms now wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Mornings with Carmen. I am Peter Kapsner. Last day of filling in for this week. It really has been a joy to start my day with all of you as part of the Faith Radio family, united together as the new creation in Jesus, following him in this world, sometimes not as well as we might like, but covered by grace where our sin abounds, his grace abounds all the more. He continues to grow us in his spirit to shine his beautiful light in the world. And in studio with Paul Perot this morning, as usual. Good morning, Paul. Good morning. It's great to see you. And I'm really excited for our first guest. The, uh, it used to be the host of this program, continued to participate in the Faith, Faith Radio Network these last several many years. Many years and, now. Many years, yeah. And, and you just run into people in that time that are reliable voices where you just, when, when times are confusing and difficult, there are some voices that you can lean into that just help us make sense of the situation. And our first guest is one of those today. It's Bruce Ashford. He's been a longtime friend of this program. I know he participates with Bill Arnold in the afternoon as well. And I just love how he talks about the intersection of Christianity with our public witness, how, mm-hmm. how it works in the public square. Exactly. And it, something I've appreciated, he's inspired me to do a lot of things, a lot of reading and I so appreciate it. Well, and I think all of us are aware that Christianity has been increasingly moved to the margins of society in in ways that it doesn't necessarily hold the same sort of institutional influence that it once did. Bruce Ashford has written an article called Christian Witnesses from the Cultural Margins, and he uses this word or this phrase, radically desacralized. Radically desacralized. Desacralized. That's how he's describing... I don't have the... But new uh, automation, I don't have the word of the day dinger up on the... i got to get that on the button bar. Yeah, but ding, clearly, ding, 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 there's a, there's a word for the day. <laughs> clearly need to learn this word as well. Radically desacralized, but this is what this means. Uh, it basically simply means that Westerners are attempting to increasingly manage life without God. God has been taken out of the center of the public square. And it's something that I know Carmen addresses quite often. You as Faith Radio family will we'll often text in, and please do again today as I'm talking with Bruce and throughout the morning at 877-933-2484, talking about this desacralization or the fact that Westerners are increasingly attempting to manage our lives together, but this time now without God. And in that, uh, this isn't the first time that this has happened. In fact, Christianity tends to be on the margins and, and is throughout our world today. And the wonderful invitation within all of that is that if you were to do a study of global Christianity right now, you would find a few societies in which Christianity is failing, and you would uh, find a few societies in which it is growing. And over these last 50 or 60 years, uh, even as Christianity has been the center of the public square in our country and in some of the European nations for many generations, we, we saw the fraying of society as Christianity was wielding its power through political institutions or educational institutions, some of the the temporary institutions of this world. And we saw the fraying of Christianity in a lot of ways in that time. But where it's growing in Latin America, in Southern America, uh, or South America, in in Asia, places in Africa, 
Christianity has been on the margins in those places for a very long time. And we see this vibrancy emerging in, in the public witness of believers. And so Bruce and I are going to talk a little bit about what it means to move towards a society that, yes, we have been desacralized or God is not necessarily the center of the public square, but maybe that was a version of God that uh, that needed to be removed from our, our consciousness so that we can once again walk in a little bit more of a purified kingdom kind of way that isn't attempting to exercise our power through political measures. It just simply is living as a new creation community, being empowered by the Spirit to bear witness in the world. So up next, we'll be joined by Bruce Ashford, and you can again text us in any questions or thoughts that you have. Love to hear from you these mornings, 877 877- 我们的第一次见面，我们的第一次见面，我们的第一次见面，我们的第一次见面，我们的第一次见面，我们的第一次见面，我们的第一次见面，我们的第一次见面，我们的第一次见面，我们的第一次见面，我们的第一次见面，我
uh, turn to do the same thing. Does that make sense? Yeah, it totally makes sense. And it's what we can continue to highlight about how much we can learn in this season of time in Western culture from our brothers and sisters who are ministering in Eastern and South American and, and African culture, because they have been, as you said, on the margins for quite some time, and yet they've been bearing a, a really faithful witness that has yielded people coming to faith in droves in those places. Yeah, and so one of the first things we got to do is to reintroduce God, right? Because right. Uh, the conception that people have of God, you know, to put, to put it in our terms, they, you know, it seems that they think that God is a lot like them, that God must be a 21st century American progressive or a 21st century American ethno-nationalist or whatever. But as a matter of fact, God really doesn't fit in our categories. He transcends all of those categories. So we have the opportunity now to reintroduce God. And uh, one of the ways that we do that, I think, is that we allow the Bible's narrative of the world to shape the way we think and speak in public. We don't let the Fox News narrative of the world, the MSNBC narrative of the world, uh, a political party's narrative of the world uh, frame the way we approach issues and, and conversations. We allow the Bible's uh, narrative to do that. Another way of reintroducing God is by exposing in creative ways the different things that um, uh, secular Americans or even Christian Americans tend to make idols out of, sex or money or power or whatever, and how those things that we make a God out of really do fail us. You know, a counterfeit God is a false savior. It can never deliver on its promises. And when we elevate something that God's created, such as sex or money or power, when we elevate it to the level of a God, it twists and distorts all of reality. And, and when we live in accordance with a false God, um, you know, nature tends to punish us, right? We, we, you can't, we can't contradict reality forever with impunity uh, without uh, being punished. So when we live, you know, against God's moral norms, which is going to happen if we're worshiping a false God, um, there's going to just be natural consequences. The whole point of the book of Proverbs, if you tend to live a life according to God's moral law, life is going to tend to go fairly well. If you tend to live a life against God's moral law, life is going to tend to not go so well. So we want to recenter God. Now, if we're going to recenter God, we have to decenter the self. Mm. Um, <clears throat> you know, we have to take ourself out of the center of the world uh, with the way we talk, with our attitude, etc., and move ourselves out of the center so that we can we can move God back in. And then two more quick points. <clears throat> well, um, a third is. You know, we live in a day where uh, Americans are very polarized, and in some ways, rightly so. You know, we're, we're, we're like one nation with two cultures, you know, a Judeo-Christian culture and then a culture full of false gods. And um, but but most of the public debate these days is framed in terms of a secular worldview. And we have the opportunity, since we operate primarily out of the Bible's narrative, and since we hopefully at least, have uh, God at the center of our discourse and his moral law framing the way we talk, we can reframe the hot-button issues in society so that um, it becomes clear that we're not merely beholden to some political party's narrative. We're not merely beholden to uh, the narrative of some cable news network. And so we can frame the way we deal with sex or money or power or, or whatever the hot-button issue is in a distinctively Christian way. And then the, the final thing is that we can revitalize cultural institutions. Now, that's a huge phrase. And people are like, come on, Ashford. I mean, 
you know, my, you know, my name is Frank and I drive a truck and I'm a you know, elementary school teacher. How am I going to revitalize a cultural institution? Well, cultural institutions, the most important ones are family and church. I mean, marriage and family is something instituted by God, and so is the church. And each of us can contribute to the health and flourishing and well-being of our own family and our own church. And then wherever uh, our vocation is, whether we're a, a, a teacher or a, a facilities manager or, or an attorney or a businessman or, or whatever it is that we do for a living, we can do that well and do it to God's glory. And it helps to kind of revitalize and bring new life to whatever cultural institution uh, we're a part of. And it's really only when um, there's a critical mass of Christians in America who are living out their witness at every sphere of culture, every sector of society. It's only when we do that, that our combined witness, our cumulative witness is going to have the impact that it can and should have. So those are a a few thoughts. Yeah, it's super helpful start here, Bruce. Uh, we'll just go through those four real quick, and then we'll step away for a moment and come back and talk about how we can practically engage in all of those. But your four thoughts were that we need to take ourselves out of the center of the equation. We need to reestablish and, and commit to understanding what is the narrative of God's kingdom versus the narratives of Fox News or <coughs> Donald Trump or Joe Biden or any political party. And then from there, we can begin to look at the disputed issues from a kingdom point of view versus a political one. And then finally, we can exercise that within our families and our churches as we seek to revitalize those places as places of public witness. That's Bruce Ashford. We're chatting about how we can minister from the margins as Christians. More to come in just a minute as we talk about then, how do we engage in all of this as disciples? This is a Welcome back to Mornings Without Carmen. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for one final day this week on the 17th of June. It's been a delight to be with all of you, and it certainly is a delight to be with Bruce Ashford this morning. We are talking a little bit about how we can continue to be empowered as witnesses in our society, even as Christianity itself is moving increasingly to the margins. And, and Bruce, let's talk about a couple of these things in terms of how we understand ourselves as disciples that you've outlined on your article here, in your article firstthings.com. And, and one of those things is to take yourself out of the center of the equation and then also recommit yourself to understanding the narrative of God's kingdom. I think we, we live in a Western narrative in which we believe that we can be whatever we want to be, or you have your truth or live out your dreams and hopes and, uh, and, you're, and you're entitled to some pursuit of happiness. Bruce, those are all Western ideas, and however um, helpful they may or may not be, I think we can safely say that those Western ideas of being whatever you want to be or pursue happiness as, as seen by you, those are not uh, ideals of the biblical narrative. And so taking your center uh, self out of the center of the equation and looking at what it means to be a kingdom person where you are a servant uh, to the king and you've given up your life is a very different narrative. Yeah, it is. I mean, uh, you know, uh, take, uh, for example, the pursuit of happiness. Um, what that means in, in secular language is quite different from what, what it means in Scripture, because what it means in Scripture is um, if we want to have a deep level happiness, the kind of uh, joy uh, that doesn't come and go, even when uh, we are sad or despairing or experiencing grief on the one hand, or are in a, a really good position on the other hand, if we're going to experience uh you know, the kind of joy that the Bible talks about, it's going to have to do with living in conformity with God's will for our life and flourishing, because 
you know, we can't, um, we're not really the captain of our own lives. We might think we are, but we're not. And it's only when we hand it over the wheel uh, to God, who is the true king of the world, uh, it's only then that we can uh, genuinely, uh, you know, be happy. And uh, again, recentering God is living within the Bible's narrative of the world and seeing things the way the Bible uh, sees them. And it's, uh, you know, showing that living in conformity with him rather than with false God, sex or money or power or the approval of other people. It's that sort of a life that brings us happiness. So any given like societal goal when expressed in secular terms is going to be not quite right or it's going to be very, very wrong, one or the other. And and so we uh, want to take ourselves out of the spotlight and put God back in. And then one of the ways of doing that, you know, because a lot of times we're like, well, how do I do that in such and such arena of my life, my leisure, my workplace, my political conversation, is to ask three questions. These are three simple questions, and they each each of the three questions um, aligns with one of the Bible's three plot movements, creation, fall, and redemption. So the question that aligns with creation is, what is God's creational design for this sphere of life that I'm in, whether it's entertainment and leisure or my workplace or political discussion? What did God intend for this sphere? Um, the second question is, how has it been warped? How has this sphere of culture or this activity been warped, corrupted, misdirected uh, by sin and by people worshiping false gods? And then the third is, how can I, as a Christian, help redirect toward God what's been misdirected toward false gods? What? How can I help bring healing to a situation that's been corrupted? How can I bring something back true north that has been warped? And, you know, each of us is limited in our ability to influence, but God doesn't call us to influence the entire nation of America. He just calls us to be an influence for him in whether, whatever pocket he's put us in, whatever network of people we've got, whatever set of activities we do, that we can make our contribution um, in, in those ways that might seem limited, you know, since we, we're not people of great influence, you know, uh, none of us is Joe Biden, thankfully, um, you, you know, or Donald Trump. Uh, we're, we're persons who are uh, a bit more limited. That's okay, because God works through the Bible. It's the foolish things in the world to confound the wise. And when you talk in these ways in terms of how we can just move in our in our regular lives, uh, we've just got about a minute left or so, but one of those places you do reference in this article is the revitalization of the family. And we, we are now in about the third generation of seeing the disintegration of the family, the redefinition of family. There's just been a, a lot of confusion and fog in this topic. And, and I'm sure a lot of people listening this morning are living in some degree of broken family, but... Family is a generational play, and, and even if you can't see the fruit of your efforts in trying to bring back together your own family in some ways, um, that your efforts now are not um, at a loss. They, they, you may not see that fruit for generations to come, but you can still enact your faith within your family in some ways that, who knows, grandkids, great-grandkids, many generations to come will, will benefit from that. Yeah, I mean, most of us find our way, in, in, in one way or another, find ourselves in a situation in which there's some sadness. You know, it might be that a grown child has walked away from the faith, or it might be a, a, a separation or a divorce, or it might be, you know, a child who's got uh, 
uh, some challenges, uh, you know, uh, uh, some sort of physical handicap or, or whatever. Um, uh, but what we can do is whatever we can do. And, and that, you know, that's a tautology, um, but it's a really good one that we can just do the next right thing in our family life and uh, be the person God has called us to be as a father or mother, or a sibling or a child, and uh, trust that God will take our efforts and use them for good. And he will. Scripture promises that. Love it, Bruce. It's so good to catch up a bit this morning. I appreciate just your work and your voice, uh, how you carry yourself in the world as well. At Bruce Ashford, you can catch his work at firstthings.com. Again, firstthings.com. For those of you in search of reliable voices, uh, this is a wonderful voice in which to engage and read through and think through here today and for the weekend. Bruce, great again, again to catch up. We'll look forward to talking to you soon. Oh, I think we lost Bruce. Uh, Paul, we'll step away for a moment. When we come back, we'll preview Dan DeWitt coming up next on Mornings Without Carmen. Well, unfortunately, we lost Bruce there right at the end, but he did have some great work and some great thoughts for us to start out our morning here on the 17th of June to think about what it means to continue to to minister from the margins. I know a lot of you probably find yourself in that position. I just want to follow up on that thought about the revitalization of family. And we we really are dealing with the generational impact of decisions made in the 60s, 70s, and 80s around changing sexual norms and changing marriage norms that continue to extend into 2000, 2010, 2015. So the disintegration of the family and the way we've experienced it has been a generational play. And the, the the reintegration of family is going to be just that too. I know many of us would really like to see the re- reintegration of our own families in our own lifetimes. And that is a, an honorable and earnest and understandable desire. Uh, thankfully, within God's kingdom, when we don't see all of those promises fulfilled, we know it's a generational play. And that our work now, as we sow seeds or as we water seeds, wherever we find ourselves in that story, will will bear fruit, whether it is seen or unseen, in this life. So continue the, the journey, continue the struggle, continue to lean into our shepherd, Jesus, in that work. Up next, we'll be joined by Dan DeWitt. We're going to talk a little bit about what he's learned from 20 years of speaking at youth camps. I love talking to Dan DeWitt as well. What a fun first hour, starting with Bruce Ashford and now into Dan DeWitt. You can uh, see his work in a number of different places, but the place where Dan posts on a regular basis is theolatte.com. It's just, it's coffee, just the way it sounds with God at the center. So Theo, T-H-E-O, latte, L-A-T-T-E.com. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, Peter. It's so great to be on Mornings Without Carmen with you. <laughs> it, it, it's just, I mean, I, I can't think of a better way to start the day, right? And, and Carmen has done such a good job at this show, just helping uh, think through so many different topics with, with a Christian lens. And, and you're such an important guest in the midst of all of this. You, you've actually had a slight change in life in terms of your job, right? I have. And so it was just announced on Monday that um, I, I've accepted a new role with SBU, which is Southwest Baptist University. It's based in Bolivar, Missouri, which um, people ask me what that's close to. And the, the real answer to that is actually nothing. And so <laughs> um, if you know where Springfield, Missouri is, it's close to that. But um, 
it's it's just a wonderful Christian school, liberal arts university, where I'm going to be leading worldview studies, a center that's going to help equip liberal arts students to think about their faith and how that applies to everything they do. And I just couldn't be more excited about it. The president there, Rick Melson, is a longtime friend of mine, and he's been president there for a year and kind of gave me an offer uh, that had all the kind of things I want to do wrapped up and with a bow on it. And so I'm really excited about that. Well, that's uh, wonderful news. And I know that you've been working with young people for a while, and we're going to talk a little bit in a little bit about what you've learned from so many years doing work at, at youth camps and ministry retreats. But before we do, let's go to your blog at theolatte.com. You posted an interesting short article here that is titled A Conversation with Humility and grace. And let's just say that humility and grace have had a tough go of it in our country these last several years. Yes. What, so what do you see in terms of how um, Christians can potentially, and we talked with, again with Bruce Ashford at the start of this hour, that Christians are ministering from the margins now. One of the ways in which we can minister is be people of humility and grace in a country that simply isn't really exercising that very effectively these days. Well, you know, Peter, so my response when you asked was just, yes, that was a rather <laughs> concise. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, no, no. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I think it was one of those self-evident statements, right? As, as a host, you just try to say the obvious from time to time, and that, that is about as obvious as it gets. Um, well, this article, it's really, it's interesting. So journalist Jason Gay d- gives us this fictional conversation between two virtues. And so it's divided up into speaking parts, and so you have humility talking to grace, and they're kind of talking about what's going on in the culture, why they seem to be neglected, what what other pseudo-virtues have replaced humility and grace. And one of the things that I found fascinating is I read it, it's just a really short piece, but it is interesting. This is, you know, in the Wall Street Journal, it's last weekend's weekend edition, and I, I think it's insightful and helpful and, you know, um, provocative to make us reflect on the way we talk Um, to ourselves, the way that we talk to others, the way we talk about our faith. But one thing that stood out to me was the fact that so often the church is so closely resembling the culture, that this is a concern in the Wall Street Journal. And I went to be with a whole lot of very conservative Christians at the Southern Baptist Convention this week. And the very exact same thing that's being said of, of what's happening out in the broader world is often the exact same thing we're struggling with in the church. And I don't say that necessarily only as an indictment upon myself and other Christians, uh, but as a reminder that we should be dramatically different than the world around us. And one of the easiest ways that Christians should model this is really to model humility and grace. And so in this piece, they talk about other virtues that seem to be on the rise. And again, I would describe these as pseudo-virtues, things like zero self-awareness, self-interest, smugness, and sanctimoniousness, just to give the ones that have S's in them. And But it's true that these are the things that get the most attention and the most retweets and the most likes on social media, and Christians just need to be different. Sometimes an article in the Wall Street Journal reminds us of what we should be leading out on um, all, the, all along. Yeah, such important words. And I know, again, you're working with young people. I'm assuming you see similar things that I've seen, which is to use an example of where humility and grace can can be in our relationships is in the the gender blurring the the sexual confusion that is going on. Um, Dan, could you speak to us a little bit about how we can be people of truth? We we still believe in truth in God's kingdom, but uh, maybe we're in a time where we need to have a bit of a forbearing spirit to enter into these conversations with people in humility and grace while we still hold 
fast to the truth, how we are open-armed and open-hearted with people and stay on the journey with them because someday this whole thing is going to come crashing down and, and we need to be credible, reliable, trusted, wise voices in people's lives. And, and those kinds of things get established through the long game of interacting with people out of humility and grace. Absolutely. I, you know, I think one, one of the ways is to start by asking the question, what are the ways that people have most connected with me personally and um, ministered to me? And if you think about that, very rarely is it by someone being the hero of all their stories. And I, I think our scars often minister far more to people than our trophies, just because when people see our vulnerability, um, us being sincere and real, that that connects with people. And so I think one of the ways that we have to do this is just begin by recognizing that we too are fallen, we too are human, and that that is where empathy can begin to develop so that we're not just speaking about some cultural issue as though we are completely detached from the culture. We might be speaking to the culture, but we're speaking from some place within the culture. And I think that we can really model this just simply by asking, how can I connect with someone's struggle and talk about it in a way that it's just not condemnation pointed towards them? So when it comes to issues like gender dysphoria, to just begin by the way people talk about that struggle. They don't use the word euphoria. Um, we use the word euphoria of things that are amazing and um, things that are good. They're describing their, their experience with the word dysphoria, the opposite of euphoria. So let's start with that. This is a real struggle. It's not something that is fun or exciting. And it's also a struggle we can understand, we can relate to in a way that all of us have things we would change about ourselves if we could. Um, I remember a song from my teenage years, I wish I was a little bit taller, I wish I was a baller. Um, I can relate with that. There are things about my own body that I would change if I could. I just spent a, a, had lunch with a, a dear friend of mine who was born without arms. And um, so we could all kind of relate to this. There are things we would change about our body for someone who's experiencing gender dysphoria. It's, it's on a far greater level. But it doesn't mean it's not something we can't in some way relate to. Let's, so let's start there mm. with some shared amount of brokenness and hurt and pain and then point from our own brokenness to a solution rather than acting as though we have everything together. And if I might share a quote in closing, um, Ray Ortland, I think, said it best at, at his church, a value they have at their church in Nashville, is they often will say, you can be impressive or you could be known, but you can't be both. Mm. That is quite a quote. Can you say that again, Dan? I think because what you've just said in, in some about leading with our own brokenness as we invite towards truth, I think is incredibly helpful as a version of humility and grace. But read that quote one more time. Yeah, Ray Orland will often say at their church to kind of set the expectation for what relationships can and should look like, that you could be impressive or you could be known, mm. but you can't be both. Yeah, and I think we've spent a lot of time trying to be impressive, and, and understandably so. But, Dan, I think back in this conversation that you're talking about with sexuality, and I just saw the second Top Gun, uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. I really just love that, yeah. whole, that whole movie genre. But uh, in, in preparation for that, my 22-year-old and my 20-year-old, they had never seen the original Top Gun, which was released in 1986. And, and that was my era, my generation, which I would have grown up watching these movies. And um, it was it was embarrassing, maybe uh, sheepish a bit. Um, certainly, it, it caught me off guard how often 
versions uh, of inappropriate sexual behavior and language were being presented mm-hmm. in that movie and over and over and over again. And I think about that there was so much sex, uh, sexual brokenness in, in my generation, in my time. It didn't have the same version of today, but it was mm-hmm. brokenness nonetheless. And I think that we would go a long ways to reestablishing credibility as people of faith if we're willing to acknowledge the versions of brokenness in which we have all walked. And that's kind of functionally taking the log out of your own eye while then we can minister together. I say it often, the ground at the foot of the cross is level, even if the sin mm-hmm. itself is different. Absolutely. You know, the, and that's where I, there, a friend of mine developed an evangelistic tool that's called Three Circles. And it's it's really a helpful, useful way to talk about faith in God. And it seems like every generation, you know, has a, at least two or three kind of really useful ways to do that. And and his has been really helpful, but it begins with God's design. And then the, there are three circles. The second circle is brokenness. When we turn from God's design, that's is what we experience. And in trying to fix our brokenness, we often just try to fix it ourselves, which leads to more brokenness. So the third circle is the gospel. And this design, the presentation is designed to start with God's design and then work work its way around. I bring that up to say um, a number of people have found that that presentation to be really helpful, not by starting with God's design, but by starting with brokenness, mm. because that's something everybody, we can't deny um, one of the things I like to say with students is to, or, and adults too, I mean, to be honest, but to ask the question um, or to say, you know, many of you are trying to fix these things purely through a self-improvement process. And then to ask the question, how's that working out for you? And hmm. I think we can all relate, like, actually, it doesn't work out very well. Like, I wish I would have thought I would be a lot more like Jesus um, after being a Christian for, you know, 30 years than I am. Um, so I think all of us, if we're honest, you know, it's, we need God's grace every single day and brokenness is not something that's just true of the world. It's something that's true of sinners. Um, but we have something they don't, of course, which is forgiveness and hope. But when we deny the reality of our own struggles, we put a, we put a wall around our witness where we can't connect with other people who don't know God. And we also put a wall between us and other Christians who really are, um, a bit more open about their struggle, and sometimes in ways that they just can't hide or deny. And they look at us and think, you can't relate to me because you're somehow kind of the perfected Christian. Yeah, I, I, as you're talking, Dan, I'm thinking about the Apostle Paul, who I'm not sure there was a more impressively credentialed person about whom hmm. we can read in the New Testament, and yet his language was always along the lines of, I have this treasure in this earthen vessel that the all-surpassing power of God may be made known through my own weakness. And I think mm-hmm. that what you've said is really important and, and something that we can we can actually hold on to as an easy way to engage in conversations is to lead with our brokenness. It, that, that vulnerability really does break down a lot of barriers. We got to step away for just a moment. When we come back, you also released your thoughts on what it's what you've learned in 20 years of being a youth camp speaker. And there certainly is a lot of good news in the next generation. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Thirteen minutes before the top of the hour on the 17th of June, this Friday morning. Great to be with you all as part of the Faith Radio family and great to be with Dan DeWitt this morning. You can see his work at Theolatte.com. Again, that's Theolatte, just like the coffee, dot com. And Dan, 
One of the great privileges of being in the classroom with young evangelical kids uh, is that you start probably sensing or smelling the trends before they actually get enacted more broadly in our culture. And I know for a few years, I felt like I was a bit of a canary in the coal mine because you could begin to experience the brokenness and the anxiety and the depression and the mental health crisis that is now full blown. You could see the seeds of that pretty early, even as as recently as five or six years ago, before it became part of our public consciousness and in our families. On the flip side of it, you working on the front lines with kids, I can probably safely say that out of these ashes of the mental health crisis, we are seeing some hope emerge. You've seen some of that even as part of your 20 years in youth camp. So just take us into a few reflections of what you're noticing from the past, but also what you're seeing today. Yeah, I think one of to encourage listeners, you know, God, God glorifies himself in these really God shows off in these amazing ways by taking really hopeless situations. Hmm. You know, we mentioned, you know, movie genres earlier um, and watching the. Um, the new Obi-Wan Kenobi show, you know, I told my kids there was this scene where things were completely hopeless and there's no way out. And then all of a sudden, you know, hope breaks through what Tolkien called a a (laughs) eucatastrophe. And I I think that God just loves to do that. And so in those moments where we, we sense and feel despair, rightly so, because things, you know, are, are really messed up and they, they seem beyond hope. God will just do something amazing. And so I've seen, Students who don't come from families where their parents are Christians, they've not grown up around church, but they will get a heart for God. And I've just seen them, their spiritual growth be absolutely amazing, exponential growth. Um, And they have the ability to, as real people living in the real world, to still really be this amazing witness where I'm convicted by, you know, what I'm hearing about these 16, 17-year-olds. So in speaking with youth camps, I feel like over the years— Students have really shaped me, hopefully, as much as I've been able to, to invest in them. Um, and looking back on 20 years of speaking at youth camps, I've got a ton of stories, which we ha- don't have time to share all of them. Um, but it's been a remarkable journey. Um, one, a, a while back, I put on social media that at school, students study economics and trigonometry. But at church, we're like, God told Noah there's going to be a floody, floody. And if you remember that old song, <laughs> and sometimes I think that the, you know, that if we would just look at the public school system for all their, you know, what, whatever flaws might be there, they often will see that they're willing to challenge students sometimes more than we are at the church. And so one of the reflections I had is that students are, are ready for big teaching. They're ready to think through the big issues. They're ready to ask big questions. And so I would say in youth ministry over and over again, one of the things that stands out to me is that we are under-challenging students. And what we need to do is bring them to this, immerse them in this big story about God and what he's done in the world and how they could be a part of that. So that would be one of the first reflections that I've had over the last 20 years. Yeah, it's so important. And, and uh, where can people can go to theolatte.com. You you put this up uh, in the last week or so, right? I did. Yeah, yeah, it's so worth reading through these because one of the statements that you made goes back to what we have been talking about, and that's anxiety and depression. And you, and you write that they're spoken of far more often at youth events than I've ever taken note of before. And then you, you said this phrase. I think it was um, quoting a fellow conference speaker. You said this, in the past, students needed to be convinced that they were sinners before they really considered the gospel. 
today they need to be convinced that they're not worthless before they consider the gospel. And uh, I just maybe read that one more time because I think many of us have grown up in the kind of gospel situations in which you try to persuade people to accept the gospel through their own sinfulness, maybe fear of God, all of these different methods that have had what I would say is mixed results at best. And in this particular case, you're saying that what you're noting is there's such a, a, a I suppose, a psyche of worthlessness that we see among young people. And how do you help them say, no, there is value here without false hope, but still speaking value uh, in the gospel? Yeah, you know, I think that, and again, like my friend's three circles paradigm, that to just start with God's design, and there are times where, you know, every every conversation about faith is contextual and is personal. And so I don't want to say that there's one right way, but I think the reason people have found that that paradigm is more helpful to begin with brokenness um, is because in the culture today, it's not so much that we've been raised so close, um, closely influenced by Judeo-Christian worldview that we assume we're righteous. I think that the students that I'm encountering are actually on the other end of the equation, not that they're not influenced by Judeo-Christian worldview, but they don't assume they're righteous, they assume they're worthless. And I think one of the, you know, one of the challenges that teenagers have faced in recent years, and this isn't new, but I remember um, it was talked about probably 10 years ago, a lot more than it is today, but it was self-harm and cutting. And I don't hear as much about that today, um, about that, but I think that that's probably a good, I'm sure it's still out there, um, but it's not to the degree that it used to be kind of like the, you know, um, the first thing youth leaders would ask about in a Q&A session, like, how do we help our kids with cutting? Hmm. But cutting would be an example of they need something to feel real and in control. And, it, and what needs to be going on in a person's life, what must be going on in a person's life, in their heart, for them to cut themselves to feel alive? And that's that's the kind of person who doesn't need to be reminded that they're a sinner, necessarily, first and foremost. Hmm. They need to be reminded how much does God love you so much that he didn't spare his own son? That's how much worth you have. And I think of the story of the prodigal son. Um, they need to be reminded of the love of a father who is willing to forgive the unthinkable and to celebrate the individual and the forgiveness. Um, I think that that kind of message resonates with this generation because they do feel desperate and they feel alone and they feel forgotten and they feel the real sting of hopelessness. Hmm. Dan, one more point from your article here. We have just a couple of minutes left is you say also in the midst of this hopelessness, students really do have big potential. And then I, I love this phrase. I'm telling you, these students are amazing. They're ready to sign up for the hard stuff. Sure. They like pizza and video games and whatever, but they aren't playing around once they set their eyes on the prize of God and God really captivates their attention. And so you really are seeing some passion and energy emerge. Yes. And, uh, you know, I told, I, there's always like the final session with camp where you get to say some parting words. And one of the things I told students this year, just a couple of weeks ago, when I finished up two weeks of back-to-back -back camps was as you go back to your church, bring this enthusiasm and joy with you and know that it's going to be the exact same church that you were at last weekend. So they're not going to look different, but the joy and enthusiasm that you have, the body of Christ needs. And so we, you have young people who are confessing sin publicly and asking for help and praying that God will use them in their broken family and in their schools. And if I could say one quick story, sure. I remember a kid 
a kid who went home and went to his dad and with tears streaming down his face said to his dad, dad, I don't want you to go to hell and had the opportunity to share his faith with his dad because he was so captivated that he didn't want his dad to be under the judgment of God. That's the kind of passion that old people like us, Paul mainly. Um, and <laughs> hey, 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 hey. He just speaks the truth in love, Paul. <laughs> okay, I'm older than you guys. I get that. But, you know, that's the kind of, we, we, the body of Christ needs that voice, and we need to be reminded of what it looks like to be broken and yet made whole by the story of God in the Bible. You're the best, Dan, and we really just love your voice as part of this program. Looking forward to catching up off the air as well. Once again, Faith Radio family, head to theolatte.com to catch Dan's ongoing work. Have a great weekend, Dan. We'll talk soon. Thanks, Peter. And take a short break and wrap up Hour 1 of Mornings Without Carmen for the 17th of June. Well, that was a hope-filled, encouraging conversation with Dan DeWitt. I sure love that guy. And it came on the heels of talking with Bruce Ashford, uh, just two gentlemen that have reliable voices. Uh, you guys, have, Paul, have done such a great job cultivating those kind of voices mm-hmm. in the show. It's, a, it's so fun to wake up in the morning and, and hear some fresh, encouraging, helpful, insightful thinking on, on these confusing issues. It is something that we've been trying to do with the guests to try and get outside of just the hot takes and right. outside of just the uh, polarizing we, we want to get people who are speaking broadly because the bible is so robust in how we are to respond to things and it, these are the type of people we want to help us understand that better so. absolutely we'll continue to do that kind of conversation here in hour two in just a moment we'll be joined by paul ac of pluggedin.com talk through some of the new movies that are coming out thanks for listening to this podcast of mornings with carmen laburge from faith radio If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.